This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I am Alex Mellers. I'm Taisei Fu. And today is Sunday, July 12th. It's been a couple weeks since we've recorded on a Sunday. And there's been a couple things that have happened this week. Most notably, perhaps, amongst other things, is that the NHL's schedule for at least the play-in round and the round-robin, have both been released, kind of. We know what days all the games are scheduled to take place on, but we're still not sure what times the games will be taking place at. Yeah, so this is another important step, yet again, uh, to the sort of return to play that the NHL is looking towards. And, I mean, it, it just feels all more real now. We have dates. August 1st is a very concrete date. It's only in a few weeks away. Uh, and, you know, we actually see the matchups, we see the whole actual official NHL schedule, obviously we're missing the times, but, uh, I mean, it, now it really feels like the NHL is going ahead with this thing, uh, we saw that Montreal and Pittsburgh, they're going to be playing on the first day, and wh- what it looks like it's gonna, they're going to be doing is basically, since Toronto Edmonton, they're two hours apart in terms of time zone, the games are going to be staggered two hours apart, you're going to have, like, six games a day, uh, and none of them start at the same time, and so it looks like for... A, a large stretch of many months, uh, all of us will be watching a shit ton of hockey <laughs> to pass the time in quarantine. Yeah, yeah, because we, we talk like every year about how crazy the first round of the playoffs is because, you know, there are these eight series going on all at once. But, but with that, you usually have like two, three, maybe four games a night. Uh, but now with this, it's kind of like you've added another eight teams. So there's like, uh, not twice as much, but like half, like half of the, you know, you know what I'm trying to say is like one and a half times as many. Yeah. That, that's the number. That's the number of, of series going on all at once. And the first two days, August 1st and August 2nd, there are five games scheduled. And after that five games each. And after that is when you start having six games per day. And obviously some of these series are probably going to end before they go all the way to game five. But in theory, if they all did go to game five, then I think that's like, eight days in a row of six games on every day. Hey, I'm all for that. And, I mean, not only that, what, we have 16 teams playing this round plus the, the round robin. Well, we're going to have another, what, eight series in, this, in the actual first round of the playoffs. And so, uh-huh. you know, this is a format This is a format that, you know, in terms of staggering the schedule, that I think quite a, quite a bit of people have been calling for because, you know, in, re- in a regular year, we're looking at the playoffs, we see what, four, three, four games, whatever it is happening in a night, and they're all happening at the same time. So you can't really, unless you're like flipping through the channels constantly and on, on your ad breaks, uh, you can't really watch them all at the same time. But I think with this way, I mean, there there will be some overlap, but I think it's greatly reduced. Uh, and there's just that much more hockey on TV over an extended period of time. And I think I like that. One thing that stuck out to me about the schedule is how they placed out the round robin. Like I, I assumed, that they would have tried to get the round robins done as quickly as possible, like, kind of, because you have six games in each conference for the round robin, so you could probably pretty easily get it done in like the first six days of the of the plan, like August first to six, and then you're done with the plan, which is like kind of the same length as a three game series would be, and then those teams get like an extra rest going into the playoffs. But actually, they they spaced it out a little bit more, uh, so that the it could happen i'm pretty sure yeah it could happen that like all the play-in series are over but there are still some play-in games left for the end um 
And I'm not sure how I, how I felt about that, but the more I thought about it, I think it kind of makes sense to give these teams like more rest in between their play-in games because then you have like they're playing three games in a span of like it could be 10 days, I think, whereas the, the other teams are playing, you know, up to five games. Yeah, you know, the more I think about it, and it's just this whole round robin thing seems so dumb. I don't know what it is. It kind of seems absurd that they're actually doing it. Because, like, you know, it still feels like they just proposed the idea. They're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall. This round robin, you know, we're, like, saying, oh, this is not smart. Why are they throwing away the regular season? And I didn't actually think they are going to fall through with it. And then now I see it, and it's on the schedule, right? It's on the play schedule, and it just it, it kind of blows my mind. We're really doing that. We're really just going to throw away the entire regular season for these top four seeds. We're going to keep them for the other teams. We're going to seed them according to how they did in the regular season. But for everybody else, we're throwing it away. Boston's 12-point lead or whatever it was, it doesn't matter. If they lose a few games to, to the teams right now, they don't have the top seed. It just doesn't really make any sense to me. It has never made any sense to me. And now that you know it looks just that much more concrete, I'm still scratching my head at this whole idea, this whole concept of why does it matter so much? You know, like it just, I, I still don't get it. Yeah, I think, I don't remember if it was the light yeah i think it was the lightning actually who initially voted against some sort of initial return to play format because they didn't want to be like super rusty while all the other teams were you know getting warmed up again in the playing round so i feel like the the like those four teams the playing teams well eight if you count both conferences would actually probably be in favor of this even if a team like like Boston would risk dropping to the fourth seed and having to play Pittsburgh in the first round. Like, I feel like they might even be willing to take that risk instead of just, you know, be, being cold and rusty heading into the playoffs. I don't know, but like you can be, you can play, still play these games. My problem is not the fact that these games are happening. I mean, by all means, they haven't played in four months, right? If you want to, if you want to shake off the rust, go for it. You want to play some games? I don't mind, but to have it actually matter. You know, I don't I don't see why they didn't have a bunch of exhibition games and you put the onus on the teams, on the players, to play as hard as they want, to shake off the rust as they like it. Why are you making it matter so much? That's what that's what's confusing to me. I, I don't mind that they're having these games. It's just that they actually matter, you know? Like, there, there are other ways to shake off the rust. You can have exhibition games, and if the players want to go hard, they can go hard, and nothing's stopping them, right? And it's just, I, I don't know. I still don't understand why they're making it matter so much. You know, I think I actually did see there are going to be exhibition games before the playing round even starts. I think I saw, like, exhibition games start July, I don't know, 24th, 25th, something around that, and each team gets two games. Unless that was, like, a dream I had, but I'm pretty sure I saw that. I don't know if there's a schedule out yet for it, but I'm pretty sure I saw that from a reliable source. Okay, then what the fuck are we even doing here? Like, like with this round <laughs> I robin. Know. I mean, like, we have, they have the exhibition games. You know, you want to shake out the rest there. You want to, you know, ask for some more exhibition games for the, uh, for the top seeds? Fine, but, like, this round robin... I don't know. It's just, it really seems like, hey, look, I mean, it's if, if teams like Boston, if the teams that are really getting screwed here aren't complaining, I mean, I guess for sure we'll go through with it. I mean, obviously teams that like, you know, that are in the bottom, like third and fourth seeds, obviously they're going to be fourth. Now they have a chance to get the top seed, right? Um, but uh -huh. if the teams like Boston, I, I haven't seen anything out there where, you know, Boston, like not the fans, but like the actual organization, they're not throwing a fit. And so, you know, they seem fine with it. And so, you know, I, I guess that's okay. But as, you know, as an outside party, if this was a Habs, the Habs were in Boston's place, I'd be freaking pissed. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, one other thing worth mentioning about this schedule, actually there are a couple other things, but one of them for at least just for the play-in, 
is I think I saw it's been a lot of information to take in, so I hope I'm not mixing things up, but I'm pretty sure I saw that all the round robin games, because there's never more than one round robin game uh, per hub city each day, they're all going to be the early game. So like if it's an Eastern round robin game, it's going to be the 12 p.m. game Eastern time. And if it's in Edmonton, it's going to be 2 p.m. Eastern time. So that's just an interesting thing to take note of that all the round robin games will be happening earliest, probably because they assume there will be uh, overall not as much interest in watching them as opposed to actual playoff series, uh, which will be happening later on in the day. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't think I'll be watching the round robin games. I know I'm Starfrost, yeah. but if I know yes, I've got you will. Yes, you will. Right if, I know, if I know I've got four playoff games coming in right after, and I've got, I don't know, some cooking to do or some shit in the morning, during the day, I know which game I'm skipping. But uh, I look, I'll be, I'll be all over the TV. Uh, don't, don't mistake anything. I'll be all over the TV once the play yeah, starts. I am so excited because, you know, it, we're all started for it, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, so well, we should mention the, can- the Canadians are scheduled to play Pittsburgh. We don't know the times yet, of course, but on August 1st, 3rd, and 5th is when they are scheduled game one, uh, one, two, and three. And if uh, Montreal happens to pu- pull out a win or two, then they will play game four on August 7th and game five the day right after on August 8th. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're really looking at the details here, it looks like the Habs, this series in particular... They've got pretty scheduled pretty well because we see a couple series uh, where we see a lot of back-to-backs uh, and or two or more back-to-backs. And this series doesn't really have any unless it makes it all the way to game five. Uh, so in that sense, uh, I think Montreal got a pretty good draw with this schedule. Yeah, wait, I'm, I'm looking. I don't think. Are you sure there's a series with uh, more than one back-to-back? Because uh, I think Maybe they I all have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah, they all have. Yeah, I just looked through and they all have exactly one back-to-back in their five okay. games. So. That's pretty fair all around, I would say. Uh, the Stanley Cup Final is scheduled to start September 20th. And if it goes to Game 7, it will end on October 2nd. And here's where, where things get interesting. Um, that the draft is it's not, I don't think it's confirmed yet, but the tentative date is Friday, October 6th for Round 1, and then October 7th for Rounds 2 through 7. And they are planning to have free agent frenzy it's not going to be like halloween or november 1st like we thought it's it's going to take place exactly a week after the last game of the stanley cup final which means i think unless they make an effort to not play on like september what would it be 29th or 30th then free agent frenzy could open while the draft is going on and i'm pretty sure with the scheduling they don't want the stanley cup final to last more than 13 days yeah it's a 13 day gap between September 20th and October, uh, where was it? Second. So if the Stanley Cup final ends on, wait, I'm just, I didn't do this math beforehand, but like if game one is the 20th and then say you end on like, what would it be? Game six on the 30th. If the Stanley Cup final goes six games, which happens very often and is very possible, then I think someone said they might, they may be opening free agency on day one of the draft, which I, I don't know if that's actually going to end up happening. That was just like, one thing I saw is like, oh, if that's what they want to do, then that's what is very possibly going to happen. I think they would probably work around that. And also, I feel like they would also probably have to set a specific date for the expiry of the contracts. And I understand if you don't want to wait, like from if the draft ends on October 7th, you don't want to wait like almost another month till November 1st to open free agency. And you also don't want free agency like only, say, a month and a half in advance of the next season. 
So if you, I feel like maybe, I don't know, a week after the draft would be an appropriate time to have free agency October 13th or 14th, which is more or less the, the same distance that they usually have anyway. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I know they have this whole system set up, but I, don't, I really don't see them overlapping the two events. Uh, I mean, these are two of the NHL's marquee events and to have uh, like the free agent, they're both big TV events and to have them happen at the same time, it would be a killer for ratings. Uh, like in a bad way because now you're you're kind of squishing them into one day. Uh, and so, look, I, I money wise, now that the league the revenue is dropped, uh, I don't think they can afford to do that. And so, if they do it, if it ends up going six games and it's supposed to, you know, in quotation marks, happen on the same day, I think the NHL will push it back. Um, and yeah, I, 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 they're usually a space like about a week apart. And I think that's probably the best way to go. Uh, I mean, look. Uh, it's it, it still seems like they're still kind of like working out the little the tiny little details. It, they've got the main framework done, but these sort of small sort of things, I think they'll they'll get them figured out. And I don't think they'll actually happen on the same day, no matter what it says, uh, you know, in the wordings. A little bit of news uh, that was tweeted out by the Canadians account 17 minutes ago, uh, just pretty much just when we started recording. The Canadians and Max Domi have agreed to wait seven to ten days before deciding if he will join the team for phase three. So uh, nothing decisive one way or the other, but I guess because Max Domi has the special condition, he's a diabetic, that maybe there's like an exemption for him that he doesn't have to opt out by the by the deadline tomorrow, like a couple players have done so far. And maybe, I don't know exactly what the waiting is going to do if they're waiting for, I don't know, some sort of alternate professional opinion or if they're maybe testing the waters of training camp, I don't see why that would be a good idea or make such a difference. But that's what the tweet says. Ah, I mean, that's fascinating. I didn't know they could do that. Uh, as you said, the deadline is supposed to be tomorrow for players to opt out. But yeah, we, we knew that this Max Domi was going to be one of the bigger names uh, that like we're, we were wondering, is he going to play? We know he's diabetic. And so he is at risk if he does catch COVID. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely something to watch. Uh, key contributor for the Habs, obviously. And look, either way, uh, if he doesn't feel comfortable playing, I obviously won't. I, I won't have any qualms about it. Uh, so it's just it's something to watch. But either way, uh, I'm I'm fine with his decision, and it's I think it's interesting that they're giving him an extension. Yeah, yeah, I think it's good that they're giving him an extension because you know he's not like all the other players. Uh, in terms of other opt opt outs, there are nine officially that have so far. Uh, two of them. Actually, three of them, uh, because they've signed in European leagues already. That's Roman Polak, Mikhail Vorobyov, and Nikolai Goldobin. And they just they don't want to come back, even though they're technically allowed to. Uh, mostly small names, like Zach Trotman, Carl Osner from Montreal, Stephen Kampfer probably wouldn't have played much for their teams, if at all. Uh, Sven Berchi may, may be kind of in the same boat. The only two, like, I get quote-unquote big names, uh, relatively big names, Mike Green with the Oilers, and Travis Hamannick of the Calgary Flames. Uh, Mike Green, also probably worth mentioning, uh, he he was acquired at the deadline by the Oilers. So assuming he doesn't re-sign with them, then his Oilers career is, uh, is done at two games, mighty two games. Um, but one thing, like with these opt-outs, like I kind of, I, I didn't know if I was expecting any to happen. I was probably expecting a few, and I probably wasn't expecting any superstar names. So this is kind of more or less like in the boat of what I predicted. But I was really... I, unhappy with like a few like obviously most of the reaction was you know positive and supportive of these decisions but there are a few uh fans or whatever fans i don't know just uh replies on on these twitter announcements that were 
not very receptive and being, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh yeah, he's got a, his team is his family. He's got to be there for the team. He's got to have passion, stuff like that. Just absolutely terrible takes. Yeah, I mean, it's fucking hooligans uh, out here on Twitter uh, with this kind of bullshit take. I mean, no, these people are people. We're in the middle of a fucking pandemic here. Uh, let them live their life and let, make the, make this kind of decision. I mean, this kind of attitude is, you know, we've talked about the toxic hockey culture that exists. This kind of stuff contributes to it. I am aware of that these are just, you know, Twitter people with, what, 10 followers each. But uh, the fact is this, this attitude is pervasive and we don't need to see it, you know, spreading more than it needs to. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, shame on these people on Twitter. Uh, and I certainly don't have any problem with any of these people uh, looking out for their families, right? Uh, and, you know, trying to avoid catching a disease that has reached epidemic levels. And so, look, and, and plus, yeah, I mean, I think we, I think a lot of us expected this to happen where only, if, like, it's just, it just feels like it, this was what was all going to happen. A few names, like Travis Hamannick is probably the biggest one. He's not such a huge name. I'd say he's a pretty important piece of Calgary's defense, but he's not crucial by any means. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, as you said, I don't believe there are any superstars going to opt out because I think that attitude, that peer pressure to, you know, stick up for your team, don't be a soft guy, don't be a soft player, uh, I think that exists, and I think it really does weigh on the players uh, in hockey in particular. Uh, and so I don't think we'll see any big, I don't know, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid. I think all those guys will end up playing. Uh, which, you know, maybe not the best idea for them, but I mean, if the, if, the, if that's the risk they want to take, I mean, I, I still, I still, I still think it's problematic, this culture that encourages people to, you know, take all this risk, this unnecessary risk, but look, I, I, it's just the way it is. And, and it's something we need to address long-term, but it's not surprising uh, in this scenario. Yeah. That, that attitude isn't just in the fans and it's definitely in the players too, with the locker rooms, probably even more so. And like, I think I saw like a, a screenshot from an article about how like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, they weren't not to their teammates. It wasn't like, Oh, none of you better opt out. It wasn't that to that extent, but it was kind of like they were trying to, you know, subtly tell them like, Oh, it's a Stanley cup opportunity. Can't throw those away. And so like, and obviously those are like the two big leaders on that team. And so, okay. Zach, Zach Trotman is on the penguins and he opted out, but he was unlikely to play anyway, unless they're, defense got decimated with injury which has happened before for that team but you know what i'm saying unlikely that he would play such an important role on the team but like if you're if you're like uh i don't know a brian rust justin schultz like a relatively i don't know mid to high level of importance on this penguins team and you got your two leaders telling you you know oh if we if you opt out then we're going to look at you a little bit differently then that definitely weighs on you heavily and that that's pretty toxic yeah absolutely and I mean, it goes to the bigger issue of, you know, is this a good idea to start at all? I mean, you look at, you look at other sports, right? Now we're really starting to see sports start up. Uh, we look at soccer in the MLS, just in the United States, right? They're having it in Florida. And what, they're having a sort of World Cup style tournament, 26 teams. Well, guess what? Two teams had outbreaks and they've pulled out. Now that's a 2014 tournament before it even started. And who knows what happens if they catch it, you know, during the actual tournament. Now we have games going on. And now we have to pull multiple teams out of the thing. And, you know, this is what worries me. Because what if a team catches it, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. we're playing in such a short span. We're playing in the same arena, right? We're playing one after the other. Uh, if one team gets it, not only will it affect their opponent, potentially it will affect everybody in that hub city. And then what happens? Are we taking out a conference? Because we've seen other leagues, right? I just talked about the MLS. 
they they have no qualms pulling the team because that's what makes sense, right? If a team mm-hmm. has an outbreak, you're pulling that team out, and then and then what happens, right? If we pull out, say an outbreak happens in Hotel X, which is where the top seeds are playing. Now we're pulling out what Boston and Tampa Bay. What happens? Like it's just the, the the whole integrity of everything, and, and not just the integrity of the actual sport, but just health safety wise, it makes no sense whatsoever. And so you know we, we talked about how we're excited to watch it, but still I have major concerns. Given what I'm seeing in other leagues, uh, when they try to start up in North America, I have major concerns about the viability of this plan. Yeah, it's worth mentioning, like, what what do we deem a success for this NHL's return to play? Like, if you get to the end and reward a Stanley Cup, is that a success? Like, I don't know, probably not if you had to have three, four teams pull out because of an outbreak and several people get sick who otherwise wouldn't have, even though... Uh, maybe some people have brought up the point that there's a very good chance these NHL players will be less likely to get COVID in this safely guarded bubble rather than actually just living their lives at home. So I'm curious if you have any perspective on that. Well, I would point out that the, I believe the teams in the MLS were already in the bubble. They were they were very much in training cap, and then they get they come out with an outbreak. Um, I understand that it's happening in Canada. Uh, I don't know the the two leagues that are having it in Florida, the MLS and the NBA. I think they're either just stupid for doing it there, even though they are in a bubble. I mean, we've seen the cases in Florida. They're exploding. Uh, and I think the NHL is right for holding it in Montreal. I think they are not Montreal, Canada. Uh, so in Toronto and Edmonton, uh, those, the cases are much lower here. But, I mean, I just, I'm concerned because it just all it takes is one person, right? Or one incident, and then it kind of spreads like a wildfire. And, you know, it's just, it's, you know, I, I approach this whole situation They've got the whole plan laid out, whatever, but I I approach it with, with major skepticism because, yeah, as we've said before, this is, yeah, we're excited to watch it, but I don't know if this is a good idea because we've seen, you know, we've already seen multiple celebrities, uh, even, you know, you know, just in their middle age, uh, catch it. And we've seen stories of people who are, you know, in their 20s and they have lasting side effects months later. Uh, and and who knows, you know, years later, we we get to see the long term effects of COVID nineteen. And do we want to put these players at risk? I mean, I don't think so. I, I personally don't think so. Uh, you know, we're talking about people's livelihoods. They're people too, as we said when we we're talking about players opting out. They're people too. And you know, to put them at this sort of risk, you know, I, I as I say again, you know, I'm still very skeptical about you know the, this. The intelligence of this because we're not opening schools in Canada, right? Post-secondary mm-hmm. education. I know the U.S. is trying to do something, but here in Canada, right? Uh, CJAPs were going online, uh, and elementary schools, high schools, they're st- they still don't know exactly what they're doing. Why are we Why are we so intent on opening sports, which is not nearly as crucial as education? I uh, yep. I don't I don't get it. Yeah, speaking of of Florida, a little bit of a a digression, I guess. But did you see that video clip of like, because Disneyland in Florida opened yesterday. Did you see that that like one minute trailer of like, welcome back? Because someone pointed out it looked like a horror movie trailer with like, okay, kind of like the creepy faces on the rides and like all the employees wearing a mask, like come on in. And then people replied to it with like the headline, the headlines of articles that are like uh, Disneyland employees, like fight back against opening. They don't want to work there because it won't be safe because it's Florida and there'll be big crowds. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> they're really opening fucking Disney World in the middle of a pandemic in a state where everything is exploding in terms of cases. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty absurd, isn't it? Because, man, like they're really opening Disney World uh, in a, yeah, it just, it, it's absurd. 
And I mean, you talk about the trailer looking like a horror show. I think the situation is going to be an absolute horror show uh, once Uh they actually open up. And I mean, we're talking about smart decisions. This is definitely not one of them. Uh, And it just goes to show we need to slow down things here a bit in terms of reopening. I think sports definitely applies to that. You know, people call it. I have yet to see a valid argument for why sports need to open so quickly. And, you know, there really isn't. No, there really isn't. Uh, people say, you know, it brings you. No, it's, it's they say they, it brings unity to people in a time where they need it. No, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're putting people's lives at risk. You're putting people's lives at risk. Yeah, it's just what, what brings people's unity it's, like that? Yeah, I know. It's, it's we're even just the fact that we're having this debate. Uh, it, I don't see any unity. Here. Um, so, so yeah, that's 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 the the pandemic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about, about the, the new CBA last week. Uh, I'm pretty sure if I got my timeline right, last week it was almost done, and now it's done. And there are very few changes between the last CBA to this one, uh, which I guess is it's better that they work something out fast than obviously having another lockout. I know it was kind of a pipe dream, but it would have been nice to see them at least talk a little bit about changing the loser point system, but uh, that's probably a little bit while longer while down the road. Uh, one change that they did make that I don't like is that starting this year and for obviously the next six years, there will be no more interview period leading into free agency. It came in after this last CBA. So from like 2013 up until last year, you could, uh, pending unrestricted free agents, could start talking to other teams around the league visiting their cities. I don't think it was technically allowed to negotiate contract terms, but people did anyway, of course. Uh, And that is not happening anymore. And I don't like that. And the main reason I don't like that is because with this interview period, what happened was a big chunk of players, especially big name players, already had their mind made up on July 1st. And yeah, some people maybe they didn't like the players' decisions leaking the night before and stuff. I didn't mind that because it made that 24-hour window of like, the night of June 30th up until like, you know, like the first few hours after free agency broke on like noon, July 1st, where there was just a influx of signings one after the other constantly. And yet, even though like the days leading after there were like, it was kind of, you know, slowed down, obviously to have that one marquee event, that marquee day, I loved it. And now when there won't be an interview period anymore, you won't have as many signings on July 1st and it will be more spread out over the week. So it won't be as much of like one big, entertainment event and that's why i'm not such a fan of this new change to the cba i I don't like it much either i mean i think i see where i think i see where the league is coming from where you know like uh i guess they don't want the spoilers and they want to keep it all i don't know legitimate quote unquote uh within the the july like post july 1st but you know as you said i think it really does diminish the entertainment value uh you're gonna see it's gonna take a lot of time for these players right now they have to you know, make phone calls starting at noon and, and, and then they have to make their decisions because, you know, they have to move their families or, or move their livelihoods, right? They're changing teams and whatever. It's a huge decision. And so, you know, we're talking about July 1st coverage. If we're watching on TSN, I think you're not going to see nearly the number of, you know, big contracts breaking. And, you know, if, if, if that day wasn't bad enough in terms of filler content, I think it's about to get a whole lot worse. And look, it's just, I, it's all, I feel like it's also a loss for the players. Because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, because now you're just, you're totally left in the dark. You lose a ton of leverage in negotiations because you just, you have no idea what's happening. You have to, you're looking for a contract. 
uh, and it's all a frantic environment, right? And you don't know what other players are going where. And uh, and then like players can really like kind of leverage the situation and say, if you don't sign right now under this friendlier contract, we're just going to get somebody else. Uh, and you know that was harder when there was a window, uh, a week long window for these people to negotiate. And so it, I, I I don't know why the players caved into this one because it seemed particularly bad uh, for the players. You know the big name free agents uh, like I don't know like Taylor Hall this season. Uh, and yeah, I don't like it as a fan. I don't like it as someone who likes to see players uh, do like win battles against the league. Uh, and it's just, it seems like a lose-lose to me. Yeah. Taylor Hall though. I don't know if that's the perfect example. Like he's not going to have trouble finding plenty of teams that want to sign him to a good contract. Uh, well, I feel like this is benefits. Well, uh, what's the opposite of benefits? I don't know. I'm kind of tired. Uh, it's less good for more middle-level players or lower-end players, fourth-liners and stuff, because I don't remember who the player was, but I don't think he, whoever I'm thinking of, he wasn't the only one. There are stories from, you know, like pre-2013, free agent frenzy, that a player will get offered a contract and they'll have, and the team will be like, you have an hour to decide if you want to take this contract. Otherwise, we're just going to have to go in a different direction. So you've got like, what, one hour to decide if you want to uproot your life from, I don't know, Philadelphia to Edmonton or whatever it was. Like, that's not beneficial for the players. And when you have that full week to like think about what teams are, interest, are interested in me, what are they offering? What's the best fit for me? Rather than you have an hour to decide, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and the NHL continues to squeeze the the player middle class, so to speak, uh, where it's not the superstars, it's not the rookies, but it's kind of the players in the middle, those, you know, middle six, bottom six forwards, uh, and, you know, bottom pair defensemen, uh, where they're just kind of getting squeezed and the demand gets lower. And this certainly doesn't help, as you pointed out. Uh, it's just, it sucks for them. And, yeah, it's just, they form a lot of the league. I, I'm surprised that this actually got past the negotiation because, you know, middle-class players, they, they are the majority, right? And they, they have the voting power. Uh, and, yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised to see this condition ratified because it really doesn't help anybody. And it, it's a lose, I think, for the league, too. Because in terms of ratings, it's just it's just that much worse. The TSN broadcast, the Sportsnet broadcast gets that much less entertaining. You get that much less size. Now, I, you know, like, it's just, I, I, you don't, there's not much analysis anymore to speak of because there'll be that much less contracts. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't see the win for anybody here. The reason that the NHL uh, probably really wanted to get rid of this was because so much stuff was leaking before noon and officially they weren't allowed to actually negotiate terms of contracts before noon. They were just going to like, I don't know what they would have otherwise talked about, but that was technically the rule. And so the NHL are kind of like, well, this makes us look dumb if everyone's just very obviously breaking our rule and doesn't seem to care about it. So that's why they wanted to change it. There'll probably still be some form of, uh, tampering that's quote-unquote illegal so that's like which probably happened before 2013 anyway but it just when they kind of bent it like oh if you're tampering before july 1st anyway then we'll make it allowed but it just kind of just it didn't really help it just kind of made them go a little bit further over the line so they're trying to walk it back a little bit that's probably the way they look at things yeah uh and so let's talk about the other big news uh that happened in the nhl this week uh and so Fuck, what team was it? Oh, yeah, right. The Devils. It was the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> the New Jersey Devils have found a new coach. Uh, well, first, yep. they took off the intern tag off their general manager, Tom Fitzgerald, and so he's in uh, as the actual GM, and they have hired a new coach, and it's a familiar name in the hockey world. It is Lindy Ruff, uh, one yeah. of the 200 hockey men. So what are your thoughts on this hire? 
Uh, well, the first thing you think of is there were probably at least three other guys uh, that were available that also have plenty of coaching experience that I would have preferred. Peter Laviolette, Bruce Boudreau, Gerard Gallant. Um, Lindy Ruff, though, for I, don't, I forgot he existed, uh, which is weird because, uh, not to brag, but it's not like me to forget that people exist. Uh, he coached like the Sabres for a super long time. And then I think it was like right before they got Eichel and they were heading downhill. That's when they fired Lindy Ruff. And he went to coach the Stars. And he did pretty well with coaching the Stars. Uh, made the playoffs a couple times. And he was let go in 2017 when they missed the playoffs. And when I heard that number, 2017, I was like, really? It was only three years ago. Because I don't know, it felt, felt like at least five years since Lindy Ruff has been an NHL coach. But I guess not. I guess I was wrong, obviously. And he's been an assistant coach with the Rangers for the past couple seasons. And now he's got another head coaching job with the Devils. And he has a pretty good track record. And from what I heard, I think like one of the main reasons why they didn't go for one of those maybe quote unquote higher profile guys that I mentioned before was because they would have cost more. And I mean, sometimes we make fun of teams like with like the Sens come to mind first of like Eugene Melnick wanting to save costs at any corner he can. But like in the middle of a pandemic, especially where the Devils aren't going to be playing until like at least December. And even then, like they don't know when people are going to be at their games anymore and they're a small market to begin with uh, i can kind of make sense if you want to you know maybe if all else being equal if you don't like totally prefer one of the other three that you'll go for the cheaper guy yeah i get that but i look at this higher and it kind of feels uninspired you know i just said you know 200 hockey men it just feels like we're seeing you know the same old thing with hockey you know you're, you're recycling the coaches and i mean lindy ruff, lindy ruff has a solid track record but he's nothing special as a head coach, right? He's not going to put you over the edge. I understand the Devils are rebuilding, but I don't understand, you know, we're talking about money. I don't understand why you don't go for, you know, a younger guy, a kind of a little known name. If you're fine with, you know, a rebuild and, you know, it's going to be a tough couple of years and maybe uh, after Lindy Ruff, you know, in a few years, you're going to hire that big name coach, that Gerard Galad caliber, uh, and you're going to put up, you're going to, you know, put up the big money. Well, I don't see why, you know, you don't take a chance on a guy who hasn't seen the league yet. Uh, as a you know full-fledged NHL coach because, you know, I mean, is Lindy Ruff going to suddenly bring the Devils up out of nowhere and win a Jack Adams? I highly doubt it. I mean, I, I, you said it. It just it felt like Lindy Ruff fell off the edge of the earth, and I totally forgot about him. I totally forgot that he coached three years ago. And But, you know, it's just it kind of feels boring. And as a hire, kind of disappointing if I was a Devils fan because, you know, yeah, I understand that money's tight in the pandemic. But in terms of, you know, as a hire, as I said, it's just, why didn't you go for a young guy? What was wrong with Elaine Nesrodin? Was he really that bad? I mean, if you didn't like him, you could go with a different guy, I guess. But I don't know. Lindy Ruff, I felt like there were even more exciting options. I didn't necessarily have to be one of those three big names. But, you know, maybe a guy who's never coached, you give him a shot. If he doesn't work out, you're rebuilding, it's fine. And you can bring in uh, somebody when, when you're done rebuilding. I don't think the Devils want to rebuild. I cause They were expecting to be good uh, and challenge for a playoff spot this past season after acquiring P.K. Subban, Jack Hughes rookie year. They got Nikita Gusev. They, they were ready to, to contend for a playoff spot, and they obviously didn't meet expectations. So I don't think this this one failed year is going to send them into like, all right, yeah, we give up. We're rebuilding again. Uh, let's hire, I don't know, an, an experienced gap coach until we're on the brink of contention again, and that's when we'll hire, uh, I don't know, a Bruce Boudreaux type or something. I think they want to be good. 
next time they hit the ice. And I think if it, that that's why they think Lindy Ruff is maybe, I don't know, like the guy for them. Not because like he's the best coach in the world, but because he's like, I don't think they're hiring him with the thought that like, yeah, this is our rebuilding coach for the next two to three years of missing the playoffs and being bad. I think they want to be good soon. And I think that's problematic. That's the attitude that they're having. They want to be good, and you should be going all in. This is the thing with mediocrity. We see it with the Minnesota Wild. If you're in the middle of the road, if you want, you know, if you're, if you, okay, well, we want to be good next year. What the fuck does that mean? What, you want to be seventh place out in the first round? I mean, I feel like that's what Lindy Ruff is going to get you. And if you want to be good, hire that big name. Put up the money. Don't don't go for, you know, quote-unquote good. Try to actually contend, right? If you think this team is going to make, this team is worthy of making the playoffs, if you want to make that push, don't fucking hire Lindy Ruff. I mean, that's my problem. Yeah, if, if you go one way or the other, don't stick in the middle of the road. We've seen mediocrity. We, we, we pile on the wild all the time for being, you know, the epitome of mediocrity. Well, this kind of hiring, if you that's if you want to be good uh, but not great, Lindy Ruff feels like that kind of hire. If you want to have him as your gap coach, it feels boring and uninspired. Uh, so that's why I don't really like the Lindy Ruff hiring. Either way, you're kind of it feels like they're stuck in the middle of the road and they're not really picking a direction to go. And either way, it just kind of doesn't feel like the ideal hire. I don't think it's fair to put the devils in, in the wild in the same group in terms of mediocrity. Like, New Jersey is trending up. Like, Jack Hughes and Nico Hischier, that's the core of their team. Mackenzie Blackwood, up-and-coming goalie, getting better and better. He, how old is he now? He's, like, 23. So he he had, a like, a pretty good year for a starting goalie when he played, at least in the second half, and he should probably be improving. And then you've got a pretty decent prospect pool also. Uh, potentially three first round picks this year so if you want to say just for next season aim to even make the playoffs just finish seventh or eighth place like if you're the devils that's a reasonable thing to do because looking at the foundation of this team you can expect that they'll be getting better and better over time so if you see a big step in improvement like that into a quote-unquote average position and then I don't think that's a concern for New Jersey like it would be for a team like Minnesota with a bunch of aging players. Yeah, well, you know, the, the problem the, the problem with that thing is I think they were they were complete dog shit this year. You know, this was supposed to be a big jump, and they were terrible. I mean, I understand this team is young, but they had expectations this year too, and, you know, they completely shit the bed. And so, you know, I think, I don't know, it just feels like, okay, I understand you want a, kind of a placeholder. That's what Lindy Ruff kind of feels like, a placeholder for either way. Um, I mean, you could, if you want to be good, he'll take you an average team, but you know, if maybe this is a difference in team philosophy, if I was running a team, I would want to go one way or the other. Maybe that's not sustainable in terms of like a GM trying to keep their job, but I don't know. I, it just feels like, I, I guess they're trying to take incremental steps. Like, uh, next year we want to get better. We want to be, you know, a wildcard team, but I don't know. I don't like that philosophy. I like, I think you either, I think if you're in seventh place, you're kind of losing it. And uh, you should probably try to rebuild another year. I mean, all those things that you described, all those first-round picks, well, you know, they're not going to help you next year. And, you know, maybe wait a couple of years, sit on it. I mean, Jack Hughes wasn't great this year. Give him a couple more years to develop and then really go for it. Uh, and, yeah, I don't like this kind of middle-on-the-road middle, middle, middle hire. I'm not, such, I'm not such a big fan of it. Yeah, the Devils are kind of an interesting study in – like, well, they were supposed to be decent this year, but they weren't. They were terrible. Uh, I mean, like, P.K. Subban comes to mind first as a player who didn't meet expectations, but, like, pretty much everyone underachieved to some degree. And you're looking at the team, and it's like, well, like, how are they supposed to get better? Because, I mean, you don't want to stand pat when your team is that bad. But, like, 
who do you do you like sign free agents or make trades or is the smart thing to just i don't know say yeah it didn't work our vision this year it just failed so we'll we'll trade pk suban and travis zajac and kyle palmieri and just try to totally rebuild with hughes and hisher as our core yeah they, we thought they were going to make a big jump that they supposedly got pk suban for a steal in the offseason and he totally shit the bed it seems like the whole team you know it's just it's concerning right uh jack hughes he was, you know, supposed to be good out of the gate, and he underwhelmed big time. Nico Heischer, uh, I know he's the one number number one overall pick, but you know, he was he's kind of been under, understated the last few years. He's been good, but he's been a bit understated for a number one overall pick. And so, yeah, the Devils are an they're at an interesting fork in the road right now, and and I feel like with Lindy Ruff, they're not really taking a you know one of the directions in the fork. They're just kind of st- staying at the intersection. And I mean, if that that's the that's what they want to do. They want to see if they can, you know, that's what, I don't know. Maybe they just want to give it another year, see if this year was a fluke. And if that's the case, I guess Lindy Ruff is a solid hire. But I don't know. I, I as Again, I'm not just wanna, a fan of that philosophy. Yeah? I just want to say, for fans like us, sometimes it's it can be hard to get a gauge of how much coaching actually matters. Because, like, we look at uh, the team on the ice and we're like, if something goes wrong, we don't know if it was the player or if it's the coach. Like, so we don't know who to put blame on. So, and when you look at the Devils, like John Hines has been their coach there several years in a row, and it's pretty much a consensus at this point in the hockey world that John Hines is, we'll say, on the lower tier of NHL coaches. And then you bring in Alan Nesterdine, who didn't really have much of a track record. And when you, Lindy Ruff, this guy who has a pretty good track record as a coach, I like I don't know if were to say whether or not it's possible that really if coaching maybe was the missing piece for the Devils this year because they did have a pretty good team on paper. Maybe Lindy Ruff comes in and is a good coach. And I could see a scenario where the Devils rise into the playoffs next season and Lindy Ruff is a finalist for the Jack Adams. Okay. If that's the case, I would be surprised. And uh, you can shoot me and I told you so. All right? Not saying I'm predicting it. Just, just I can envision it. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so we'll move off the Lindy Ruff news uh, into some other news. And uh, uh, very interesting news, I might add, uh, coming out of Vancouver, uh, where we have seen some rumors where potentially we're seeing Brock Besser as a name in the trade cycle. And I think that's completely absurd. Uh, I'm not saying that they're false rumors, but I think if this is the case for Vancouver... I mean, we've talked, a lot of people have talked about those disaster contracts that they handed out uh, in free agency that Jim Benning did. Well, it looks like it really might come back to haunt them uh, this time around. Yeah. Uh, honestly, just a couple of years ago, the thought of Vancouver shopping Brock Besser was, would be totally out of the out of the realm of possibility. He was like, I, yeah, he was a finalist for the Calder Trophy. He would have absolutely crushed the 30 goal mark if he hadn't gotten injured that year he, i think he ended with 29 and missed like 15 games or something anyway uh this was first reported by rick dollywall as like they're exploring the possibility so it wasn't like super concrete language and if i had to bet i still probably say that's not going to happen but because we really don't haven't seen much news like this for the past several months people were kind of eating it up and i mean understandably so uh i don't understand though like okay the canucks are in cap trouble and actual cap trouble. Uh, and when I say actual cap trouble, because people sometimes have a misconception on like, just because you're close to the cap doesn't mean you're in cap trouble. Like if you're a team like, I don't know, 
Toronto or Washington who's like or Edmonton maybe who's like spending okay maybe Edmonton's not a good example because they have a, do have several bad deals but like Toronto or Washington or like Dallas maybe who are close to the cap and if you're spending most of that money on your good players then it's not really cap trouble if you you know uh, spending a ton of money on Kuznetsov, Baxter, Ovechkin, John Carlson, and then you have to plug in the other holes. Like that's the good kind of cap trouble to be in when you're in a position like Vancouver, where Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, uh, Brandon Sutter are all making over three million dollars, and then on the blue line you have Tyler Myers making six million dollars, just to name a couple. That's when you actually run into cap trouble, and that's where a great valued contract like Brock Besser making under six million dollars for two years after this might have to be on the move because no one wants to take on the other contracts and you have other players you have to sign. So this is really, we're saying we've been saying for a while, like, Oh, Jim Benning is terrible on July 1st. He signs a bunch of terrible contracts on July 1st. And eventually it's going to catch up to him because he's probably going to have to have to either like give up, give up value to shed those bad deals or even worse he's going to have to trade one of these young players like Brock Besser. So this, uh, just the fact that this rumor is coming out and it's reasonable that it might make sense for Vancouver to have to trade Brock Besser is an indictment on Jim Benning by itself. Right, absolutely. I mean, it's not the, it's not the likelihood of getting a trade, but the fact that Brock Besser is a name at all in the trade market solely because of this monstrosity of a cap situation uh, absolutely is, is a terrible look. It's completely on... Uh, Jim Benning and his awful contract. I mean, I'm looking at that cap friendly page and it's a complete train wreck. I mean, top paid forward, Louis Erickson. And he I didn't even mention Louis Erickson. Louis Erickson, uh, Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, all of them combined, they make $12 million and they have two years left after this one. I mean, it's completely absurd. And none of these players are particularly good at all. Not worth, not even close to worth. They're like fourth liners, all three of them and complete scrubs. And the fact that they got that much money, it didn't make sense at the time. It makes even less sense now. And yeah, somebody should really take the, the phone away from Jim Benning's hands on July 1st because none of these moves makes any sense. I mean, yeah, you also mentioned on the defense, we have Tyler Myers. Uh, that contract goes on for God knows how long, uh, four more years after this one. And I mean, yeah, Vancouver has placed themselves in a situation where they are they have a, a boatload of great young players. You know, just like we're talking about Quinn Hughes is maybe going to win the caller this year. And where are they going to find the money to pay this guy? Because fucking they have Jay Beagle making $3 million a year uh, and Tyler Myers making six. I mean, it's just, yeah, you have your young players. Good for you. Jim Banning, fantastic drafter. But now that it's come time to pay them, you're not going to have any cash space because you fucking spent it on Louis Erickson. Uh, and so mm-hmm. for all the good drafting they did, all the great young players they have, they can't pay them if they can't retain that talent. Completely useless uh, because of these terrible signings. Also worth mentioning, uh, Louis Erickson has a no trade clause. So if they're if they want to send him off to I don't know the Red Wings or something and give up like some high draft picks to do it, uh, Louis Erickson's going to have to approve of that. And I mean, if Louis Erickson were traded to the Red Wings, it's not like he's going to go on LTIR. He would. I think it's fair to say he would make that lineup. Maybe even like as a second line forward, or maybe maybe not that high, but whatever. He would be in the lineup. And like Roussel, Beagle also have modified no trade, so they would have to. Uh, approve a destination and a very interesting thing to look at you're talking about how are they going to pay Quinn Hughes uh Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson are both going to need their new contracts at the exact same time at the end of next season so like off season of 2021 and that season where they're where the first years of those contracts are going to be is you might see this also 
the last year of Beagle, Roussel, and Erickson's contract. So if for whatever reason, like I don't know, they end up trading Besser or something to clear up cap room, and then they still have those three players on the team, that's going to be very interesting because like Pedersen and Hughes, you can see a scenario where like like those two players are probably going to be worth like at least $16 million together per season. And if you still got like that dead weight, 12 million hanging around by then, then I'm curious to see how, how that ends up working out for the Canucks and Jim Benning. Yeah. I mean, he completely mistimed it. Uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's off by one year. It's one thing. If those contracts is bad enough, their contracts expired, you know, uh, and then you have to sign, you know, Pedersen, but at least you have all that Pedersen and Hughes and you have, but you have all that cap space that just, that just, you know, appeared. But no, there's a one-year overlap, and yeah, I, I just I have no idea what they're gonna do. And yeah, the Besser rumors kind of seem like fringe rumors right now. But you know, you look at that cap situation, and people that might that need moving and that actually have value, Brock Besser is probably the top name out there. You look at maybe even Bo Horvat, and those are two you know talented guys that you, you want to keep. Uh, but instead, you'll probably have to ship out one of them because you have a bunch of dead weight in the cap situation. And that's 100% on Jim Benning because he totally mismanaged it contract-wise, but also timing-wise, as you mentioned. Wait, who are, the, who are the two guys you said that you probably want to keep but might have to ship one out? Besser and Horvat. Oh, okay. I missed the Horvat name. Uh, yeah, I don't think they're trading Bo Horvat. Even if it's just that he's their captain, I don't think that, that's probably one of the last guys they would want to consider moving to clear up cap room. Uh, but that's also the thing, like, right? Yeah, but like Besser is also one of the guys, the last guys you want to ship out in terms of cap. But they place themselves uh-huh. in a situation where you you're gonna to have to trade one of the last guys that you want to trade away. The guys that you totally want to keep as part of your core, they're gonna to have to ship out one of them because of this cap situation. I'm not saying they should yeah. uh, ship out Besser or Horvat, but you know it might come to like having to do it because even though they don't want to, it's just because of this cap situation. Uh huh. Also, Jakob Markstrom is uh a ufa uh this not this summer but like this this past season was the last of his contract and vancouver's probably going to push really hard to keep him and i would predict they would probably have to pay like at least a six million aav which is about about a 2.3 million dollar raise uh throw in also tyler Toffoli, who's 4.6 against the cat this past year and who apparently they're they're really intent on trying really hard to resign and I could definitely see a scenario where they overpay for a guy like that. So that just makes their problems even worse if you're Vancouver, who are currently, according to Cap Friendly, uh, $30,474 away from the cap. So that is uh, a fair amount less than League Min. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's just, it's, this situation is absolutely fascinating because this team is so stacked on young talent, and yet they're still clinging on to these veterans because they have to because they give them bad contracts. Uh, Jacob Markstrom, just touch on him a bit, 30 years old. I don't know if I'd give him $6 million on a long-term contract. I'm just going to say that. Uh, and yeah, Vancouver's definitely one of the most interesting teams in terms of the cap situation. How are they going to manage to get out with all these young players? How are they going to manage to re-sign them? Uh, probably, you know, top three most interesting teams in terms of cap situation in the next coming years. If I'm, if I'm in Vancouver's situation, uh i am just trying to shed the bad contracts uh and i am willing to pay a lot of draft picks to do it i probably even like more than market value just because as you said they are so stacked on young talent they have their elite core in place and so even if you honestly have to give up like a bunch of second third round picks i'd be very hesitant to give up a first round pick 
uh, but like a lot of like those higher level second, third, fourth round picks to try and get rid of guys like Beagle and Roussel, try really hard to convince Louis Erickson to waive his no trade. That's definitely the route I'd take instead of trying to get, I don't know, a bunch of high draft picks for Brock Besser. Yeah, I'd agree. And even if you did trade Brock Besser, you definitely wouldn't get the market value, right? Uh, for Brock Besser, whatever return, because everybody knows you're in a terrible situation. And so, yes, I agree. If I'm Vancouver, if I'm Jim Benning, I'm trying to offload these contracts. That's the number one priority uh, over shipping anybody out due to cap constraints. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, so are we done with uh, the Canucks? Because we have two more players for this week's uh, prospect profile to get discussing about. All right, let's get at it. All right, so our two players we picked this week are teammates with the United States National Team Development Program, both centers, both projected uh, more or less around the middle of the second round, Thomas Bordalo and Ty Smolanich. Uh, Bordalo is ranked number 51 on Bob's list, and Smolanich is ranked number 39. Uh, I think maybe it's a good idea to start with those numbers, at least from here on out, to give a good idea of how, how the scouts are perceiving these players in general. Bordalo is he's on the smaller side. He's five foot nine, but he was almost a point a game this year in the in the development program with uh, forty six points, sixteen goals, and thirty assists in forty seven games. And he is going to uh, the University of Michigan next year. Smolanich uh, he's a little bit little bit bigger. He's six foot one. Uh, he had kind of had an injury plagued season. He he I think he had mono at one point. He had like a, an ankle thing, a broken finger. Uh, but he, was, at the beginning of the season, was like a projected first rounder. And because of that, he was probably like, you know, wasn't like 100% full healthy when he was playing. He didn't produce at as high a level as Bordalo. But I think like the, the potential that people saw, like before all these injury troubles, is probably what has him ranked around the same range as Bordalo. Okay, so let's start with Smolatic in terms of deep dive. Uh, and you mentioned the in- in- injury plagued year, and that's what really, you know, I think that's what makes him that much more interesting because he's dropped a lot because of that. And, you know, what jumps out at me is that out of the three of injuries, right, two of them, first of all, Mono is an illness, right, and that's just kind of a fluke thing. And a broken uh-huh. finger, I can't imagine, affects him too much in the long term. Obviously, an ankle sprain, uh, you know, you want to make sure that's all healed up and ready to go. But, I mean, one thing that, I mean, you, his the talent is there, right? You look at, you know, he's got the skating, uh, he also plays solidly in the defensive zone. He's got the tools. And, you know, before the last season, he was projected as a first-round talent. He's got the, you know, he's got the ceiling. And so if I'm a team in the second round, I mean, in terms of taking a shot, absolutely, I would take a shot at this guy. Because, you know, one name that comes to mind that fell because of Mono, right, Timothy Lilligren, was a steal. Because he had a bad draft year. Because for a large chunk of the season, he had Mono. Or, or no, it wasn't Mono. It was, sorry, it was... Was, yeah, I think it, it was, was Johnson, Mono. wasn't it? Or, okay, anyways. Oh, both of them had... On the lead. Okay, yeah, yeah right. Uh, Johnson is the one who is definitely a steal. Like, he fell to the seventh round. I think, actually, they both had Mono. Uh, and Johnson fell to, like, the seventh round. I'm not sure where he was initially projected. But Liljegren started the year as, like, a projected top five player. And even going into draft day, he was probably, like, I don't know, around the 10 to 12 range. And he fell to Toronto at number 17. And it was this big steal. Uh, I mean, like, looking at it three years later... Uh, maybe it isn't as much of a steal as we thought it was initially, but at the at the time it definitely was. Yeah, so at the least teach you anything, take the guys who had mono in their draft year and then they fell off the draft, you know, fell down the draft board <laughs> because because the ceiling is there. And so, you know, second round picks, right? You you want the home run. You don't want a boring guy, you don't want a defensive defenseman who, you know, doesn't play offense. 
Uh, roll the dice. That's what I say. And especially in the second round. Well, in the first round as well. And in the draft as a whole. I mean, you want to take a shot at these high ceiling players. Uh, and Ty Smolanich, or I think I pronounced that name correctly. He's yes. got the tools. Uh, you know, and yeah, he had a bad season. He had a bad season. Let's not, you know, sugarcoat it here. He had a bad season this season. But, you know, I, that's the thing. It's a, We don't know how much the injury affected that. And, you know, if I'm a team in the... In the, I'd say in the higher, in the first half of the second round, absolutely, I'm taking a, a shot at Smolanich. Yeah, you say like uh, he's he's definitely got like a pretty decent ceiling, to Smolanich. But I kind of look at him like as long as he can like that ankle thing isn't too debilitating and it works out fine and heals all properly. I I kind of feel like he's a, kind of a prototypical safe pick, I guess. Not not like a Frederick Gauthier, Trent Frederick kind of like, oh yeah, we'll draft him in the first round and he'll become a third liner. Like if if you're, I'm talking more like you want to get safe picked when you're in the second and third round because like if he heals all well, I don't see a scenario where he doesn't make the NHL. Even if just because like he's so strong defensively and positionally, especially for a player his age, that I definitely see him developing into at least a third line center. And he has offensive tools that maybe he hasn't like totally put it all together yet. He's only, you know, obviously didn't produce uh, as well as a guy like Thomas Borlo this year, but he, if he can put it all together then he could potentially develop into like a top six forward. Yeah, absolutely. He's got that. And when I say roll the dice, I mean like the first few teams in the second round. Um, and so I would say that, you know, we had our first round mock last year, uh, last week. And I would say this match is one of the, you know, the, the top two prospects I would take uh, to start the second round uh, because yeah, I mean, you say he's kind of a safe pick, but the thing is he's dropped down these draft boards and people don't like it when, you know, you have a bad draft year. And so they end up tumbling, as we've seen, you know, in multiple cases. And so, you know, maybe out from the outside, it looks like a safe pick, but these teams, from what we've seen in the past, they don't like that. And these players seem to fall. Seem to fall. Uh, but, you know, if I'm if I'm a team that's that's in there, I mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't have any qualms taking him if I was in the front office. In terms of... Like ceiling though, I'm probably a bigger fan of Thomas Bordalo. I get I get the sense that you you're a big fan of Tyus Milanich. I would probably have Bordalo ranked a little bit higher just because this past season he's really put his offensive talent on display and he really is more of an offensive player than uh, than a defensive player. Uh, whereas I guess like Smilanich has offensive tools too, but Thomas Bordalo, like that's really like the elite part of his game. Is his big strength is his shot. He has an elite shot and a wide variety of shots and. Basically, he's a good all-around offensive player. He's good offensive vision, playmaking ability, pretty good skater too. Uh, he has shown like defensive abilities from what I've seen and read, but it's he's inconsistent there. Like it's just not there all the time. So when we're talking about like forwards, like we haven't talked about Casper Simontoval yet, but he's basically a player who's just kind of a black hole defensively, and so it's probably going to be hard for him to maybe work that stuff out. But with someone like Thomas Bordalo. Like he shows he's capable of it. It's just like not there all the time. It might be easier to put that together and make him more of a well-rounded player. And he might end up being like a winger instead of a center uh, in the NHL if he makes it. Like same with Smolandish maybe. And he'll probably go in the first half of the second round. But I'd be very happy for like Montreal to get him with any of their second rounders. Like the ones that will probably end up like 39th, 40th. I think that would be a great spot for Bordelow. Someone who with a lot of offensive talent and a pretty high ceiling. Yeah, when it comes to both of these players, I actually end up liking them a lot because uh, high ceiling for both of them. I think Bordalo, uh, you said it. You get, you, I mean, he's got the shot, he's got the vision, he's got the playmaking. Uh, and I mean, other than that, it's the defense that's the concern, and the fact that he's five foot nine. Uh, 
And we've seen, you know, as we said, time and time again, NHL scouts overvaluing size. This guy's 5'9", right? And look, uh, just again, I'm going to say it again. Keep rolling the dice. When it comes to high ceiling players, uh, in the second round, even in the first, throughout the draft, I really don't have a problem with low, floor, low low floor players because fuck it. I mean, half of these players don't pan out anyways. And so, look, more than half. Thomas Bor- he's got more, okay, yeah, more than half. The vast majority <laughs> of players don't fucking pan out no matter what their no matter what their floor was uh, that was projected by the scouts. And so, you know, go by ceiling, Bordalo, absolutely. Uh, I think 59, I think it was on both list is it, too low for him because 51. you know, I 51 in the 50s. <laughs> It's too low because yeah. I mean, what's what's the big knock on this guy? His size, his shoddy defense that is inconsistent, but you know it can be worked on. As you said, defense is something that you can, that you can coach, right? You can't coach a lethal shot. You can't coach the the vision and the playmaking that he's shown uh, as a prospect. And so, yeah, I like both of these players. As you said, I think I like Smolanic a little bit a little bit better, but I think both of these guys uh, early forties, if not the thirties. Yeah, I think, yeah, as you were saying, I think the fact that Bordelow is 51 and not higher, maybe in the high 40s or late 30s, is the size bias. Uh, same reason we saw Marco Rossi ranked at number seven on Bob's list instead of the top five where I believe he belongs. Uh, same reason why Cole Caulfield fell all the way to number 15 to Montreal last year, the size bias. And I think that's really why uh, why Bordelow has not looked on upon favorably by some of these scouts. Yeah, and, you know, it's an inefficiency we've seen time and time again getting exploited. Uh you take players that are smaller who can play offensively and they end up doing just fine and doing great in the NHL. Uh, I think Bordalo absolutely has that potential uh, to score a bunch of goals. I think, uh, you know, I, I like, I think you're right. He probably is a better fit at the wing, but he hasn't played the wing. So that's a bit of a question mark. Meanwhile, Splanadic, uh, as you said, he's also a better fit for the wing, but he has played on the left wing. Uh, so, you know, he, he, you've seen that versatility already and that's, you know, that's a little a knock on Bordalo because I don't know how he plays on the wing. But I mean, I think I think the transition will be fine. I think he has a good shot as any uh, to transition to the NHL, and I think his shot, as I said, is already NHL ready. And I think that you know, just give him a few years, and I think he'll be good. These two players are a really good example of why this draft class is so good and like how deep it is. Because I feel like in an average draft, these two players are probably. Uh, probably late first round picks. And like when you go into like, like when I said, oh, let's profile these like second round guys this week instead of like we do mostly like uh, first round guys or like fringe first rounders. And these guys will probably end up going in the second round. Your expectations are kind of lower and you look into them more like, wow, these guys actually, you know, they're pretty good. And they, they're kind of comparable mm-hmm. to profiles of guys who've gone in the late first round in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder the, the, what's the big difference between a late first and, a, and an early second, and there really isn't much. And yeah, in a, in a draft year where it's not nearly a stack, I think these guys can absolutely make it into the first round because of you know their skill sets. I think they both have, uh, you know, we like specialization uh, and you know different tools that you know you are actually like you like specializing. You and we see that you know what I mean. Like uh, I don't know one one name that comes to mind. Obviously, I'm not comparing them, but like. Alex Ovechkin, right? He's got that spot uh, on the power play. He scores a shit ton of goals, right? And we like that specialization more and more in the NHL. And, you know, specific tools that go with it. And I think both these guys, Bordelow in particular with a shot, uh, you know, they have the tools. And, you know, look, 
I, I like them both as, very much as prospects. And if they do fall as much as they, like, for example, Bortolo, if he falls to 51, absolute steal, if you, if you ask me. Uh, you heard it here first from Tyson. Thomas Bortolo is the next Alex Ovechkin, end quote, Tyson. I'm right. Let's go. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So uh, that, I think that for this week's prospect profile, uh, we don't usually, we don't plan these players like well in advance, like or probably like within the next couple of days, we'll decide who to do for next week. So if, if you have any particular prospects that you want us to profile, then uh, you can send us a DM, Fusion and Hockey Podcast on Instagram. And uh, honestly, we will probably profile it. If, if not the next episode, then the one after. So yeah, definitely. If you have anyone you're interested in, let us know. Uh, for this week, we are now jumping into our trivia segment. That's not really a trivia segment. Because as is now routine every third week, we are playing a game of Guess Who. And this is our third game of Guess Who so far. And we were thinking, which team should we do? And we figured, since our beloved Montreal Canadiens are going up against the mighty Pittsburgh Penguins in the play-in round, that maybe we should get to know the Pittsburgh Penguins a little bit better. So that is the team that we decided upon for this week's game of Guess Who. Um... But so you, as you know, we usually do 25 players. So I went on the Penguins roster on Cat Friendly, and they actually had 26 players on their roster plus Jake Gensel in the LTIR. So I had to pick two players to not include, and I eventually I cut Nick Bugstad and Dominic Simon since they are both unfortunately injured and won't be playing against Montreal. So the 25 players that we that will be involved in our game are. <gasps> Matt Murray, Tristan Jerry, Chris Letang, Brian Dumoulin, John Marino, Justin Schultz, Marcus Pedersen, Jack Johnson, Yusuf Rikula, Chad Ruedel, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jake Gensel, Jason Zucker, Brian Rush, Jared McCann, Patrick Hornquist, Connor Sherry, Patrick Marlowe, Teddy Bluger, Brandon Tanev, Evan Rodriguez, Zach Aston, Reese, Sam Lafferty, and Anthony Angelo. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Excellent run. All right. Okay. So after three weeks ago, I got routed. It wasn't a good time. Uh, one particular game, I had a nice fat lead, and then I blew it. And so I'm coming back this week. You know, this week, I actually, last night, uh, I spent a few minutes. I made an Excel spreadsheet uh, instead of my old-fashioned paper. And so, prepare to get routed. Oh, you, so, like, you have, like, a bunch of stats and, like, shooting and height and weight and nationality and stuff on there? Exactly. Let's go, let's go. All right. Uh, I don't, I just have, I'm a little bit more prepared than I was last time. Last time, I just had, like, a list of all the players. This time, I put a little R next to the players that shoot right. So I don't have to go through cap friendly and waste time, you know, sorting through that. So, uh, yeah, so that's my new level of preparation. Let's see if I can, right. I can win oh. d- despite your, your advanced whatever metrics analytics you're using. Damn right. Uh, we're escalating it every week here, I guess, who, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've become an anal- analytics guru, uh, with my fancy ass Excel spreadsheet. So, uh, let's right. have at her, okay, let's, let's get a good, let's get started. All right, so I'm randomizing my list to come up with a player. Uh, all right, I've got one. Um, so you say your player first uh, while I mute incoming audio for five seconds, and then you'll do the same, all right? Okay. Okay, so I'm muting myself in three, two, one. Yeah, I've got big name of Denny Malkin. Let's go first pick. Okay, I'm back. All right, tell me when you're muting right. yourself. I'm muting myself uh, right now. My player is Sidney Crosby. All right, yeah, we're back. good. Yep, yeah, we're good. Hey, uh, you, were you off hey. for? I felt like like ten seconds. You were off for a while. It was a lot of dead silence. Whatever. Bad, bad. All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay, you want to start? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I feel like maybe 
Yeah, I'll go first. I'll go first. And I'm going to ask you, um, was your player uh, acquired by Pittsburgh in a trade? Hmm. Let me Oh, that's see. not on your spreadsheet, I mean, is it? Huh, I stumped you already. No, it's not. I don't have trade histories on my spreadsheet, and I'm going to say no. <laughs> no, he's not. Okay, was not acquired by a trade. All right, so that. Uh, so now I get rid of uh, Brian B. Mullen, uh, Justin Schultz, John Marino, uh, Marcus Pedersen. I get rid of Jason Zucker, Jared McCann, Patrick Hornquist, Connor Sherry, Patrick Marlowe. Oh, I get rid of a lot of I get rid of Evan Rodriguez. Uh, pretty sure that is it for that. Yep. All right. Okay. Your turn. All right. Um, so I'm going to say, is your player American? My player is not American. Okay. All right. So that eliminates a chunk of people. We have Johnson, Dumoulin, Marino, Zucker, Rust, Kensel, Lafferty, Angelo, Ruido, Shiri, Zach Athen Reese. Let's go. Let's go. All right. I am now going to ask you hmm, what should I? What's your player drafted by the Penguins? That is on my chart. And he was. He was drafted by the Penguins. All right, I think that's that's pretty that's pretty good for me actually. I think that shaves it off quite a bit. I'm getting rid of Jack Johnson, Yuso Rikola. I'm getting rid of Brandon Tanev. Oh wait, no, that definitely does not shave off as much as I thought it was, especially considering my last question. Uh, I don't think Chad Ruweedle was drafted by the Penguins either. Wait, where is he on on here? Oh, there he is. Uh, no, he was not drafted by the Penguins. Yeah, so I really didn't shave off that much. Anyway, all right, your turn. Okay, I'll uh, I'll give you the same question. Were they drafted by Pittsburgh? Yes, my player was drafted by Pittsburgh. Okay, all right, that's a nice. I'm down to uh, let's see. I think I'm down to six players now. Ooh, I am down. Schultz. I'm down to ten yeah. players. Okay, so right. I'm eliminating Marlo McCann, Panev, Rodriguez, Rodriguez. Evan Rodriguez? Rodriguez. 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 Okay, Ricola, gone. Schultz, Patterson, and Hornquist. All right. So now that I'm behind, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the gusto. I'm gonna ask: Boy. Is your player a forward? He is a forward. Ah, all right. I was hoping you'd say no, because okay. then I would only have three players left. All right. Look, this one actually. I'm gonna ask you the same question, but this one actually splits at fifty-fifty for me. So is your player a forward? Yes, my player is a forward. Okay, so that eliminates half my camp. Latang, Murray, Jerry, let's go. All right, so oh you've boy. got you got you got three left. You got three left, and I've got seven. And I went first, right. so this is not shaping up so well for me. Uh, it, does your player shoot right? My player does not shoot right. All right, so I've got four guys left now. I've got Crosby, Malkin, yeah. Gensel, and Teddy Bluger left as my last four. Oh, that's funny. I've got I've got basically the same. I've got three of those as my, as my last three. I've got Crosby, Bluger, Malkin, and i got to pick one for the win right here. Um, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, okay. Crosby, Bluger, Malkin. Okay. So let me think. I don't know. Should we go for Big Sid? I think that's exciting if we get him first round. Um, that'd be, that'd be pretty, that'd be pretty dope. Um, so yeah, is it Cindy Crosby? Correct. You have won this round. I guess who? Let's go. Let's go. Who is your guy? Why don't you take, why don't you take a guess? Just, just out of the blue. It doesn't count. Here we go. 
Uh, is your player Jake Gensel? That's of Kenny Malkin. So we got the big oh. one too. Wow, look at that. Okay. All right. So chalk one up for the big Excel sheet. Um, that worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's one nothing for you. All right. Let's try to even things out oh. here. Next okay. round. All right. So next round, I'll start this time. Um, okay, okay, so I'm gonna, mute, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna mute yeah. incoming audio in three, two, one. Yo, fucking hell! I got I'm getting mocked again. I'm not even fucking shitting you. I'm back. <laughs> All right. All right. I am uh, muting in. Yeah, you're good. Muting yeah, you in mute. Three, two, one. My player is Brandon Tanev. Okay. You can come back. I think that was All right. longer than five seconds again. But here we go. Yes, All right. longer than five seconds. All right, yeah, you, you guess first now. Okay, all right. So, hmm, what shall we go for? I don't think anybody's done height yet. So we'll do we'll do a solid height question, shall we? Uh, are they six feet or shorter? My player is six feet or shorter, according to Cap Friendly. Okay, all right. Sounds good. Delaying a whole chunk of players. Okay, All right. your turn. Uh, hmm, what should I ask? Is your player, uh, hmm, does your player have a cap hit of of three point five million dollars or higher? Yes, they do have a cap hit of three and a half million dollars or higher. All right. Okay. Right, wait a second. This might take a while to uh to figure out who's who because. <laughs> All right, because okay. I've got, I just gotta like, I have to look on the cat friendly page, then go back to my doc and take them off. So Connor Sherry is less than three point five million dollars, so it's not him. It's not Patrick Marlowe. It's not Jared McCann. It's pretty interesting podcast quality, isn't it? Uh, it's not Zach Aston Reese. It's not Teddy Bluger. I'm taking those guys off. Oh, man, maybe I should have asked. I should have saved this question for later. Oh well. Uh, it's not Pedersen, it's not Marino, it's not Jack Johnson. All right, you want to ask your next question while I while I figure this stuff out silently? Sure thing. All right, here we go. Um, was your player drafted? Was my player drafted at all? Yes, period. Uh, my, my player was not drafted. Nice. Well, that's probably a, that's probably a pretty big one for you, isn't it? Scratches off eight out of fourteen, so that's only nice. eight. Here we go. Eight. Yes. How many undrafted left. guys are on this team? Uh, uh, wait. I don't know, but let me, let me tell you who I have. You left. I've got Shiri, Ruidal, Rodriguez, Tanev, Ricola, and Zachary Aston Reese. Huh. Look at that. Uh, all right. I'm almost done. Uh, taking everyone off. Last question. All right. Okay. Gun now. Gun now. I've got. One, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven players left, and you got you got six. Yeah, that's correct. All right, let's try to whittle this down to four. Uh, going for the gusto again. Is your player a forward? He is a forward. Ah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Who do we have next? Okay, so we don't have Sidney Crosby again. Um, no big names. They're all undrafted folks. And so, hmm, what shall we go with? Salary, cap hit, that's all on my spreadsheet. Just got to flex that a bit. And, uh, okay, all right. Are they American? We're going to go with that classic question again. Uh, my player is not American. Okay, so that eliminates a solid half. 
All right. Uh, now, I'm going to ask... Uh, wait a second. Is your player a a left winger, according to Cat Friendly? I gotta, I gotta pull up the Cat Friendly page. Um, please excuse this dead time. Okay. <laughs> so, no. Not a left winger. Okay. Alright. So I'm down to three guys now. Good. Alright. I'm down to three, two. Alright. Here we go. We're tied. Heading into the bottom of the ninth. Oh, okay. Yeah, here we got go. Ricola. Ricola, Tanev, or Rodriguez. And uh, I'm getting nobody vibes out of any of them. Um, so, <laughs> you know what? We'll go for the most expensive guy. Because why not? Is your guy Brandon Tanev? Yes, my guy is Brandon Tanev. No, Snipe right. Sally. All right. All right. You get one I'm going best. for the tie here. I'm going for the tie. Mm-hmm. I got three. I got Crosby, Malkin, and Hornquist. And, Boy. you know, since Crosby and Malkin, since they were both our guys in the first round, uh, I'm going to go with the odd guy out, even though that's mathematically not necessarily a good strategy. And I'm going to guess, is your player Patrick Hornquist? No, I pull out the dub again because I got mocked for the second time in a row. Oh, come on. <laughs> All right. Oh, excellent. All right. So okay. you are 2-0 and this week. Uh, and I just if I won that one, maybe we would have gone with the tiebreaker. But similarly to you last week, I'm just going to take the L on this one and call it a week congratulations while i won the minnesota wild round you are victorious in the pittsburgh penguins round who won the habs one the first one we did it was a tie i think we played a one one tie and then the third game we played was also a tie so it was that was a dead on tie oh right okay okay yeah so so uh yeah so now we're like one one and one each i guess uh eventually after i'm not i haven't done the math yet but if we play guess who every week it's probably gonna, like how long will it take to get through every team like more than a year, right? A year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay. Well, eventually, eventually we'll get through every team, and then we will have an official guess who champion declared. And also, funnily enough, by the time we're done guess who, the teams like Pittsburgh, Minnesota, their rosters are probably going to look totally different. So maybe it wouldn't actually be totally the worst idea to loop back around after however long it takes. Exactly. Uh, Got to shout out the Excel spreadsheet this time around. Um, totally yep. overpowered, and I am uh, making yes. one next week or next t- three weeks from now. Week. I'm gonna have one. Okay, okay. I can't wait. It's gonna my my spreadsheet. I'm adding. I'm adding things. Maybe next next time around we'll have a trade history for every player. Um, oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. All right. Yeah, All right. So, so like, what's uh, your player traded? What's your player traded on an even numbered day? That's gonna be my first question. Perfect. Perfect. Once you whittle it down to two players in one question, just like that. Yep. All right. Okay. Uh, All right. So, yeah, you wanna you wanna cap it off? You wanna end off the episode? Sure, I'll end it. That's the end of this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast for July twelfth. We will be back next week with uh, what's the? You're giving me a trivia next week, right? Yeah, that's what it that's is. Right. And you can follow us as I mentioned previously, Fusion and Hockey Podcast on Instagram, and you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. I'm still honestly not sure how to check that. You you manage the Apple Podcasts. I manage. Uh, some other stuff, including the editing and uploading of the show, but who's keeping count? Not me. Uh, so yeah, tune in next week for another episode. This episode of Fusion and Monkey Podcast
podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.